I'm Andrew Coates, and I'm the host of the Live Free and Die Hard podcast. Welcome back to another episode. This is number 301 in the Lifetime Continuum. I'm going to renumber them now. Uh, 150 of the old and 151 of the new makes 301. And uh, my guest today is my friend Tasha Wolf Whalen. She's a strength and conditioning coach, the head strength and conditioning coach at Pro Strength and Conditioning. She's a PPSC instructor. She's a writer for Teen Nation, a whole bunch more. And we end up talking a lot about Tasha's abundance mindset. She's a very giving, abundant person. And how that's actually come back around to help her a lot and how she's fulfilled by just sharing and supporting other people. Uh, and a lot about how to approach choosing your continuing education. And there's a whole bunch more packed into this episode. Stay tuned. Tasha Whalen, my friend, it is so nice to have you here. Um, it's nice to have you on this podcast. You've actually been a guest on my other now inactive podcast called Forever Strength that I do with my business partner on one of our projects, Bailey Lau. Um, we've just suspended that one. We're both so busy, but I want to direct more of my time and effort into this and share you with everybody who's listening here. Now, my guess is a lot of people here actually do know you because you're well-known within the community. You have great relationships and you and I have actually hung out at a number of events and we will be seeing each other at Raise the Bar uh, February 23rd, 24th in Dallas. If you guys listening haven't committed to that yet, it's an amazing event. You should come hang out with us. Everyone there. should come. Absolutely. Oh, I'm super excited to be here. I appreciate you uh, having me on and I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Well, your positive energy is one of my favorite attributes there. So you're easy to to chat with. And, you know, you're, you're, you're very giving. You're very abundant. You're very generous with your time and energy. Uh, and... I know you're the sort of person you'll literally just go hang out at Luca's gym because you're not too far away from him and you'll like clean up and help out and, you know, and, and he's, he's all over the place. So, you know, he kind of needs it a little bit. Yeah, and absolutely. I noticed that, you know, you're kind and supportive and helpful for other people and you don't really, you don't trust yourself in the spotlight too aggressively. No. And, you know, I, I think that's very endearing. I think a lot of people like that. Um, but I want to know a, where this comes from, but B, and we know it's not that this is the eventual goal, but, how have you benefited from just doing it this way? Uh, I mean, it's, I, honestly, like my whole mindset is truly my goal in life. And this is, it's weird. It's actually a very selfless goal. Uh, well, I, I am a manager. I'm a head strength and conditioning coach. I, I run a facility and, you know, I, I present and I do a lot of uh, education stuff and mentoring of people. And I give my time to people in any form or fashion that they need me in. Because truly, my goal in life is to elevate people as much as humanly possible to help them get to where they want to go in life and to reach their goals. Even if that doesn't benefit me in any way at all, I will go out of my way. I will find resources. I will do research. I will do anything I can in my power to help someone achieve you know, their dreams, their goals. And it honestly just makes me feel good to do it. Like it's So I guess it is kind of selfish, actually, now that I actually say that out loud because I do get a positive feeling from it. And I guess that's kind of selfish in a way, but you know, I mean, it's a, it's a win-win for everyone involved because someone's going to get the resources or get the direction and the guidance and, you know, get to where they want to go. And I've even had people on my own uh, coaching staff, you know, say, Hey, you know, I don't know if this is actually what I want to be doing and, and working here, I want to maybe switch careers and, or go somewhere else or, you know, kind of dive into something different. And, that's fine. If they want to leave my facility, I will guide them. I will point them in the right direction. I will connect them with anyone that I can to help them get there. And it's 
absolutely a beautiful thing to watch someone kind of just grow and and reach their their capacity and and do the things that they really want to do. So I, it's always been how I've been. I mean, ever since I was a, a kid, I've always uh, gone out of my way to help other people and make them feel good, make them feel comfortable and confident. And uh, I guess it's just part of my personality. It's in my genes, in my blood. I, I do not think that's what selfish actually means, but I do know what you mean in that right. I was talking with, uh, you know, someone that I'm close with and I've been pouring a lot of, you know, effort into connecting her with some opportunities that she's worked hard for and earned. And so she's turning around and, and trying to, you know, find out ways to support me. And my answer was like, listen, I'm, I, I feel best when I see other people get opportunities that they've earned. Right. And I think that's a big one. Like when you and I were in, we were at Luca's, um, when Don, Luca, Kelsey, and Dennis were doing their super coach in March of last year. And we were walking from Boomuna Coffee, I think it was. And yeah. we were talking about, I'd asked you about how much writing you had done. Because again, I feel like you have the credibility as an educator with the PPSC and the, all the other stuff you're doing. That in, in giving your physical strength and your track record as, as a strength athlete, that you'd actually be a really good fit for T Nation. So we got to talking about it and you jumped on it immediately. And how many articles you've written for them now? I mean, uh, about eight in now. Yeah, you're pumping them out the really fast. And most people who even get in there, you know, feels like they'll do one, maybe two if they're lucky, and then they kind of move on from it. Whereas I, I haven't gotten as many in the last little bit. I've got one in the works. But for a while there, I was trying to get the regular stuff because I think there are, there are the people who've like shown up on there. And then there are the people who are kind of known as the legacy, the faces of it, where you get like a, a tenor shuck right now is kind of the the main face, I think he's just on all their videos. And obviously Christian Thibodeau has been like the face of it for a very long oh, time. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of value. And, and again, like I talk extensively about the value of, you know, being a part of that brand and what it's given back to me. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm like, you. I, I like giving supporting. And my attitude is we're clever enough to know that if we approach it this way, a lot of stuff comes our way like just the the sheer volume of cool opportunities generally speaking it's kind of like the alex hermosi uh woman in the red dress analogy if anybody's familiar with it it's like you have to start like be, being careful about like these attractive distractions because we only have so much time we can pour ourselves into so you actually actually have to say no to better opportunities that you would have begged for in the past sure. but yeah. these opportunities happen and if you just keep showing up and helping people but at the end of the day, it feels good. It's not transactional. I mean, some people are like, mm, I'm clever enough to just give, give, give because I know I'll get from it. But the right. people who are fundamentally takers, they they just, they don't have that kind of patience. They just don't have that capacity. And I think there's something to be said for asking for opportunities that you're you're ready for perhaps and like seeking things out. But all too often, I find that people are asking for things that the only person it has any value to would be them themselves, whether it's asking to speak at something or write for something, you know, like, Hey, I want to tell my story. And I've mm -hmm. recorded this before. Uh, Eb Samuel, he's been on the podcast. Um, my editor at men's health and Eb says, quote, nobody cares about your story. Right. And that sounds blunt, but it's true. And if you go through any of this stuff from that lens, then you start to look at it. Well, well, what is the way? How can you be valuable to the editor and the audience, right? So, or the conference runner and the audience, right? And how do you do that? Well, A, you deliver great value to that person. But if you bring eyeballs to the publications and butts and seats, and you have a good following, that's probably soaking up all your articles on T Nation. So you're probably getting, they're probably getting new readers because you're writing for them.
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How do you filter when you get someone in your, your orbit who it's very obvious that they're a, you know, a sponge, they, that's the wrong word. They're, they're an obvious taker. They're they someone who does not intuitively seem to understand that the world is abundant uh, and that it's not a zero sum game. Yeah, you know, that can be uh, really tricky to uh, kind of find that balance of how much are you okay giving someone that is a taker and how frequently are you willing to do that when it's just take, 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 you know, and it it, it can't be a very tricky situation to be in, especially for someone that is a giver, that really, truly just loves to give. And then it's like, you almost kind of get used a little bit, right? So I find myself in situations where I'm like, okay, now I'm just being taken advantage of. And then it's like, what do you do with that? Like when you find yourself in that position where you actually realize and recognize that you are being taken advantage of, how do you get out of that skirt around it or completely stop it? Because as a giver, it is very hard just to cut that off, right? But then you have to have, that's where communication and those really difficult conversations come in. And you have to be very, very honest with people and very honest with yourself, because if you aren't, then it's just going to be the same thing, that domino effect of just being used and taken advantage of. And so I've come into many situations where, again, I, I love to give so much. So I do often get taken advantage of. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to cut this off. And it it doesn't feel good to do it for me as a giver. But I will have those conversations where I'm like, hey, you know, this is actually is not working out for me anymore. You know, I've given you... Um, I'm basically exhausted myself giving you as much resources or all this information or guidance and mentorship. And, you know, you're not really a listening to me and taking my advice and running with them, taking action on it. And so I will have people ask me the same questions to over and over and over. And I'll give them advice. I'll give them information. I'll give them resources. And then they don't follow up or follow through on any of that. And they repeat themselves. They ask the same thing, right? It's almost like mm -hmm. a clients that ask like, hey, how do I lose 10 pounds? What food should I be eating? And what should, food should I be avoiding, et cetera? What exercises? And you you give it to them, you lay it out. And they're like, come to you like a month later asking the same question. Like, well, did you put all the stuff that I gave you into action? Did you listen to what I said? And they're like, oh, no, I didn't do any of that. Well, maybe if you start doing that stuff, then we can revisit this once you've, you know, kind of checked all those boxes first. So I will basically tell people that, you know, I'm just like, check the boxes first that I've already given you, and then let's set a time and we could talk about that. But it, it can be very tricky to not be taken advantage of. You know? So from the perspective of the person who's asking those questions over and over, I think there's something going on here. And I think it's just this, I guess productivity would be an analogy. You feel like you're doing something useful. And if you are... This shows up in many forms. And I and I call coaches out on this stuff too, because a lot of coaches will endlessly consume, whether it's books and courses and certifications. And, and I think that stuff is essential within context. But if you are doing nothing but consume and nothing but ask questions where you're not applying any of it, yes, then you are that same person. And we all do this. If we end up scrolling on our phone, we're like, oh, fuck, I've, I feel guilty for doing that. Or if it gets really bad when you get to the point where like you can't sit down and watch a TV show you enjoy or watch a movie you enjoy or do something without feeling like you have to work. That's almost pathological. Trust me. I, I've been there that. Yeah, me too. working on that. Right. So that's, that's the other end of it. So what do we do? Well, if we're doing something that we feel we're learning, then we feel productive, but it, it gets 
problematic when you're not taking the time to create and build. So in, in the, in, this can be for anybody, any walk of life, right? Whatever career you're in, um, whatever your personal projects are, right? <laughs> Family stuff, like it, it's a perfect analogy for it. But in the case of the coach, okay, what are we doing? We're talking about building business systems, potentially scaling stuff, or we're talking about creating long, long form content resources, which, and those two things coincide. And a lot of coaches struggle with that stuff, even like just being active on social media and they would rather turn around and do, you know, do another course. And I think there's a balance. Now there's another thing that, there's sort of my personal philosophy when it comes to dealing with people who I find take more from you than give uh, personally, professionally. At the end of the day, we all have to live with ourselves. We all have to kind of like feel good in our soul. So I am comfortable in a one-on-one -on -one situation, ending up giving a fair bit more than I get back because I try to fundamentally never keep score. For me, important principles, I don't keep score, right? Okay. If it gets to the point where it's obvious, okay, this person is taking, they're not offering any value because even relationships still have to be somewhat reciprocal. Your best friends, you're you're gaining some benefit. A lot of it's just like you have a friend you love talking to, right? It's hard to quantify that, nor would you ever want to become that, that tactical with it. But- I am more than happy to give to a point that goes beyond, way beyond 50-50. I'm not keeping score on that. And if it gets to a point where I'm like, okay, cool. I realize there's a cutoff here. Uh, my conscience is clear. My soul feels good. I went above and beyond. And now I'm at a point where I feel this, this person cannot in any way turn around and, you know, criticize me for, you know, the degree to which I went to help that person. And then I can move on from it or I can set new boundaries around it. And then I can just be kind of, Hey, I'm, I'm just not available my time. I just don't have time to help you with this. Yeah. So that's my attitude when it comes to this stuff. Absolutely. And I, I sleep well at night knowing that. And does it put you at the risk of, you know, in certain personal situations, can it lead to quote abuse? Absolutely. And I've been on the receiving end of that. True. But it comes back down to, if I look at the aggregate good that has come back at me, in my life from giving people the benefit of the doubt and going maybe the extra mile and being taken advantage of. And the net positive has been astronomical. And so one-to-one, -one, you have to be alert to this stuff, but right. in a life whole, you know, the holistic, everything about all your interactions, I still think that you, you win out many times over if you're still of giving mindset, even if sometimes you get taken advantage. Agreed. I absolutely agree with that. And that's how, kind of how I operate too. So yeah, on the same page for sure. All right, let's go deeper on this. So you are a very strong presence in the industry in education. You know, I mentioned the PPSC instruction, now obviously writing for T Nation. You know, you're getting some features in Muscle Fitness Magazine, thanks to Shane McLean. Thank you, Shane, appreciate you. Uh, but you also never courted what I would call viral attention. Right. So, and I think that ties in with what we talked about before, but any more thoughts on that? on why I haven't gone viral with all the stuff that I How, do. Why you haven't courted it because a lot of people want it, but can't do it. They struggle with it and they develop very bitter attitudes towards social media. I've seen a lot of this. I will talk about this in my upcoming presentations. There's a lot more. My big presentation for Raise the Bar and what I'll do at some other big events coming this year uh, that aren't like official official yet. I'm gonna be doing a lot on social media philosophy, right? Some really good big picture philosophy stuff and some appropriate tactics. Yeah, yeah, social media is a very interesting thing, you know, I mean, this day and age, you know, how, how big it is and how much uh, people I don't know, value it um, and are kind of 
consumed by it or overly consumed by it. Um, I enjoy it. It's a very frustrating uh, medium, honestly. You know, it's like, yeah, you put stuff out there. No one really sees it. Does it really matter? My thing is I'm not trying to blow up and be like, the biggest star in the world in the industry. Like if it happens, it, it happens. It's just, you know, me helping more people out. And that's my goal of it. So my goal of social media is when I make a post, all I care about is one person saving my post one. And then I think that's a win for me. I'm like one person saved it. That means I helped one person. And that's legitimately the only reason why I do it is either to relate, be relatable to people, to help people solve a problem of some sort, you know, and just, kind of, yeah, put myself out there, have some fun with it, be lighthearted with it. I'm a little bit of a goofball. So some of my posts are a little bit wacky and, <laughs> you know, it's just, I just have fun with it. And, you know, if, if something great comes out of it or opportunities come out of it, cool. But if I can provide opportunities for other people with that, then even better. And that's really what I do it for is it's not a selfish thing. It's not for me. It's, you know, some of the times it's for my mom because she just <laughs> wants to know what I'm doing in life. And I'm like, all right, mom, here's some posts. She's like, oh, I just love your little posts. And, you know, she just thinks it's the cutest thing, you know, and whatever. So I, I post for her because she just gets excited every day to see me on social media. So she thinks Par I'm famous and that's all that really matters. Par it's funny. Parents are great for that. They're like, cause yes. they, they, they totally <laughs> think I'm famous too, right? It's like in the context of the fitness industry, guess what? Some people sort of think that that should have shifted. Sure. Go to my head. My best friend is really good at rubbing it in my face to keep me grounded anytime that I even start to subscribe to my own fucking bullshit. <laughs> but my my parents just think this is amazing, right? They think it's great. So dad will always reshare my Facebook posts. Mom will like my Instagram, right? My brothers like they're they're not existent on social media. They'll like they just they follow. They're there and they don't yeah. interact with anything. It's yeah. funny. It's it's very different. But they're very sweet and they're very, they, they listen to these podcasts. So they will be sitting around. I, for, I forgot that for a second. Like one of the reasons why I brought it back from a brief hiatus a while back was because I'm like, wait a minute, my mom loves listening to these podcasts. That's Hi mom, exactly. you're amazing. I appreciate you guys. And I'm actually going to be meeting them. They're coming down to meet me in Las Vegas after Aram's Real Coaches Summit. So I spoke there last year. I'm returning just to hang out, support him. Lots of friends going to be there. He's got completely new lineup. It's great. It's got uh, Beth Verocco and Joel Jameson and uh, God, there's a whole bunch of other people. Yeah. Uh, Danny Matranga is going to be there. Super, super cool lineup. Yeah. And so they're going to fly down the last day of the event, meet me, and we're going to spend four more days there. They've never been to Vegas. Dad wants to play some poker. He's a Beatles fan. I'm taking them to the Beatles love because I love Cirque du Soleil. It's great. One of my yeah. favorites, for sure. We, yeah. we went with me, Luca, and Joel Jameson and a crew uh, for Joel. I think Joel did um, a little over a year ago. We were just down there and took us out to that. And I love it. So I've seen three Cirque shows. We're totally side questing on this, but yeah, awesome. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah. This attitude, I, I, I'm a big believer in this. I, I, I posted something a couple of days ago and it's, it's a kick in the pants to get coaches more active. Cause I think a lot of coaches can feel like, Hey, like the algorithm just doesn't like me. You know, no one sees this. Well, I mean, part of that is consistency, working on the skill of it, right? Like there, there is that. Like I played around yeah. with it for a lot, learned a lot about it, had a lot of fun. I try to teach it to other people. And and I think it's based in part to building a concept, and this will come up in this presentation as well, is external fame. And like nobody in our industry is actually famous. Like nobody is walking yeah. around on the street in some strange city and getting accosted the way that the rock exactly. will be. That, that's not a thing. 
you go to the Olympia and I'm walking around with Dr. Mike Isertel and like, he can't go two steps where he doesn't, he's not swarmed by people. Right. Famous in this world, you know, and and within the context of this, you know, he's super famous. Right. So can we put ourselves in a position through appearing in major publications and public speaking and maybe success on a YouTube with a YouTube channel? We've got people uh, again, RP, you know, their YouTube channel, I think is over 800,000 subscribers. They're absolutely crushing on it. So, you know, that's, between all their media, there's definitely at least a million people in the world who like know and consume Mike Isertel's content. So, and a, a surprising proportion of them are going to be at the Olympia. So it's no surprise he can't like take two steps. Yeah. But that's the goal. If you could put yourself in a position where you grow, and here's my big thing. Instead of complaining and getting frustrated about, and I always use the liver king as the metaphor for this. Ah, yes. Big following, saying lots of really stupid things. We know that. But then again, like the average person is probably going, well, they don't know any better. Oh my God, like this guy's natural. And we're we're saying, well, how could you be so fucking stupid as to think the liver king is natural? But then again, like we have privileged information that the everyday person doesn't necessarily have. And think about this. We grew up thinking that Hulk Hogan or Randy Macho Man Savage, the under, ultimate warrior, like we didn't think what those guys were on. Never questioned that stuff. Or, you know, didn't think that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Manny Ramirez and all these baseball players were were gassed up right. or whatever. You know, let alone like, and this is a very obscure reference. Like if anybody who's a baseball fan remembers Brett Boone, right? He was this thin little dude. Second baseman would hit about 250, you know, eight, 15, 18 home runs. And then one, and he's short. And one offseason, he shows up with 40 pounds of like bodybuilder muscle. And goes off to like a historic season. It was Ichiro Suzuki's rookie season with the Seattle Mariners. And Boone finished like second in MVP voting. It's like, where'd that come from? Where'd all that muscle come from? You don't think about that sort of stuff when you're when you're young, right? Anyway, but the point being, if I haven't lost anybody, is like let's let's not belittle the people who just don't have the same access to context that we do. So, okay, cool. Like a lot of people probably maybe the liver king is onto something. So instead of belittling that stuff, it's like, okay, cool. Well, yeah, we probably have to tactfully debunk this crap. But if you don't get in the ring, if you're not in the arena, at least trying, you've got no right to criticize or complain. And I and I do catch coaches doing this stuff getting very sour, very bitter, very entitled. And they think, and I'm going light, to light a fire to some people. They think, well, if only all these influencers could be legislated off the internet it's usually the crowd that are like we need more regulation in the industry pointless exercise sounds great nice little soundbite put yourself on the back for saying something cool in a perfect world sure guess what that person on the internet who doesn't have a goddamn certification in the first place who is in new zealand or turkey or estonia who has access to a webcam can upload to youtube can upload to social media it would take every country in the world to coordinate and legislate the labeling of whatever as misinformation. And that's a whole slippery slope because getting them to agree on what exactly constitute this when most of the experts who are credible don't always agree 100% on everything, like that, 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 that gets into like authoritarian dystopian sort of like control, which is its own like ideological thing, which I'm not even going to even worry about. I mean, I hope people understand this. Like that's some 1984 shit right there, okay? Right. So we, we don't want that level because oh, we, we've gotten rid of all the misinformation. We've, we've got bigger problems now. If we have the capacity to literally get rid of all that misinformation, we're not living in a society I want to live with. And we're in the matrix at this point. Yeah, fair enough. So back, back to the main storyline on this one. So 
those people aren't going away. They're just not. And even if they did, let's let's predispose that we got rid of them all. You know what? They're not going to sudden all the people following this stuff are not going to knock on your door going, well, oh, you're you're a really qualified trainer. I want to work with you now. They don't know who the hell you are because you haven't actually stepped out to build the various different options of media that is scalable. Mm -hmm. So here's my answer. Stop worrying about the liver cake. Focus on what you can do. <laughs> Start small, learn the skills gradually. Like I posted recently, 20, late 2019, 3,000 Instagram followers. So I yep. just stuck consistent, consistent, talked to some really smart people like Jordan Syatt, um, applied, applied, applied. Five months later, I've got 900 more followers. Cool, all right. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like in two years, I'll get to 10,000. It was a magical number. You get the swipe up back down. That's yeah, now gone. Yeah, yeah. Right, that was a goal. But anyway, so the pace accelerated. You got Mike Isertel sharing my stuff all the time. Droves of followers coming in. I hit 10.5K in year one. Okay, cool. And now we're doing great, right? Other stuff happens. I'm writing for different publications, working on my writing. And then mushroom, mushroom, mushroom over the course of the last few years. And all of a sudden now people are like, hey, can you come and teach us how to do social media? I'm like, okay, cool. That's awesome. So yeah, we're talking about like over four years later with this stuff. It's easy for me now to look back, survivorship bias and say, all right, here's all the stuff I did. But guess what? If you're not willing to at least try, then I'm sorry, like I can't help you. Yeah, yeah. Question for you. What do you think, just out of curiosity, what do you think you'd be currently doing at this moment if you didn't have all these followings, all these all these followers and were presenting on how to build your social media? What do you think that, I don't know, you things would look like right now for you? Well, so number one is I wouldn't be getting the speaking things because the following, the social media following has been instrumental to the invitations, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, because I... I'm very visible to a larger number of coaches. I have a deeper set of relationships across the industry and I'm able to mobilize people to come and attend events, right? Whether it's my own or the other events I speak at. That's now a known thing inside the industry. So therefore that's where those invitations come from. Yep. And I think a lot of people get the idea, well, well, if I get on the speaking stage, it'll get me the followers and it'll get me the status that will give me, and hundred percent, these people crave the status. They crave what they think comes with social media. Yep. So it's not what you think it is. I look at social media as, okay, this is really valuable because here I have currently right now 150,000 people who are at least on the surface level able to see my stuff in some way connected to me, know who I am, et cetera. They're going to be varying degrees to which they are really engaged with my stuff. Some people are just like super engaged. So these are people I can theoretically help. I can reach to give longer form resources, more detailed resources, like any article that I publish anywhere, uh, anything that if, if I start to do more with YouTube, eventually I have a video library, um, you know, free program on my email list, people that I can in theory reach would might listen to this podcast yeah. and a, I'm taking up space from the influencers that were complaining about the misinformation or B I'm simply able to just make a few people's lives better at a larger scale. So that's how I look at it. And I think that's the benefit you have to make a personal assessment of what is the trade-off between the amount of time and effort you'll put into this versus what you're getting. And it comes from a abundant place. I think that's actually why it worked. I didn't go in this transactionally. I don't go, I've never messaged anyone and said, Hey, can you share my post? That drives me nuts when people do that. Yeah. Um, listen, I'm going to put stuff out there. If it's good enough for people to share it. Resonate, they share it. Yeah. And I will learn from that. I'll do more of that stuff. I'll reuse the good stuff. If something doesn't work, cool. We learn from that too. Absolutely. And that's it. So what would I be doing? Well, I had, I was busy, busy full time as probably as many clients as I could probably handle for a long time. I've been doing this 13 years, right? Mm -hmm. When I was with the old company, um, 
after like the first couple of years, year over year, I was the number one person for sessions trained per year. And I was like third by dollar value, but first by actual sessions sold. Some of the other trainers were selling at a higher rate for yeah. probably the last like four years I was at this company. So what's that? That's like, that's like li literal evidence that, okay, I'm very, very busy as a coach. So that was there long before social media was even a thing. I was posting on Facebook, but I didn't have any sort of appreciable following. So what would I be doing? I would probably still be doing the podcast. I would probably be still writing for, you know, T Nation. And maybe I would have gotten some opportunities for some other things. And I would still be coaching very full in time. I probably wouldn't have as much traction with online coaching. And I don't think I would be getting some of the other opportunities that I've been getting with public speaking and travel. I'd still be attending stuff. And I'd probably have more time to myself, actually. So there's the trade-off. So there's Absolutely. your answer. I love how you flipped this on me. I, I was going to say, do you like how I'm asking you questions on your podcast? Because I was going to ask how many now in-person people do you coach right now? Because is it like part-time and then you're doing more social media and then No, I'm, I'm very full-time in-person. I, I, mean, yeah, so I mean, I don't have the exact count on clients because they, yeah. they vary in terms of frequency, what have you. I probably have like a pool of, you know, any given time is usually flowing between 30 or 40 in-person clients. Um, and it probably works out to be 35 to 40 client sessions per week. I think I have yes. another 14 oh. clients online and then our women's group. Yeah. This intake's at 49. The previous one was 82. It fluctuates. The glute one did really well. Yeah, um, nice. we'll see about that so yeah that 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 that, that keeps me busy and then okay. here i am talking about like you know keeping doing these courses i'm just finishing up prescript level one i just finished up rp's nutrition and i've molly galbraith gave me um girls gone strong um nice i'm in that course. one too I, i'm working on great, that great course i haven't had much time to touch it but yeah for me i'm really interested and then after this there's another course that i want to start but i have to clear up some more time i got presentations to get ready Guess what? Like it's time consuming. I'm fulfilled by it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a so lot of work. Back on to you. So, you know, again, you teach in strength and conditioning, and I think it's relevant given what I just said. And do you feel like there's a point where coaches just get caught endlessly within their comfort zone and then they'll go just do another technical training course when maybe that's actually like the marginal incremental benefit of doing that is is very, very limited compared to maybe the other gaps within their career? Thoughts? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, well, I, what I've noticed too uh, in the industry, so I I have a team of 85 or so trainers and coaches uh, where I'm at, and I send out education stuff. I do free education. Uh, we bring people in, like we have uh, Nick Lamb coming in two weeks to do his speaker workshop. Um, we've had um, different people that I come in and I'll you know, send these things out to the team expecting like, hey, a decent amount of people to like sign up, like let's be educated, let's continually grow. And there's people that have been on this team for 20 plus years who don't attend CECs, don't attend workshops, seminars, anything like that. And they aren't willing to grow or expand beyond their initial skill set too. And it's kind of disappointing to see how few people actually go out of their way to grow and add to their skill set and become better coaches because of it. So it's a, a big limiting factor, uh, in my opinion, to not attend educational things. Like again, raise the bars coming up. You're going to be there. This is going to be my third year. I've gone every year. I fly out, I go, and it's incredibly valuable and very beneficial, not only just developing, you know, the knowledge and, and adding more tools to your toolbox and uh, advancing your skill set, but like networking, building relationships, opportunities 
come from these things. And people don't realize that they just like, I don't need to know. What am I going to learn? I've actually had coaches. I don't think I'm going to learn anything from that. That's because you're closed off to it. You're closed minded. You have to, I can go to anything, even if it's like something that I've attended over and over and over and over the same presentation, I will learn something new every single time I hear it every single time. So you have to be willing to learn and grow and take on what you're actually listening to. But a lot of people don't, uh, don't do it and they don't find the value in it. And there's so many missed opportunities because of, you know, the lack of willingness to get out there and attend these things. That's sad. It's disappointing. I noticed a near perfect correlation between the coaches that I used to work with in the old commercial gym and whether or not they're still in the industry versus whether they did any real ongoing education. Now, I got some friends. I'm going to shout out my friend, Jen Kish. Jen, I, she's still aligned with the fitness industry, but she's working on other things right now. But she went off and well, she was captain of the Canadian Olympic rugby women's sevens and won bronze in Rio. You'd love Jen. She's a real powerhouse. Nice. Um, yeah. And Jen and I started out as trainers together. And But Jen is always learning, always committed. She's not working currently as a trainer, but she actually did for a really long time. So Jen is not who I'm talking about. But I work with other people who... In some cases, yeah, their aspirations, uh, a great guy that I used to work with is now a firefighter, right? So mm -hmm. that that was what he wanted. But there were people that I work with who are more, and these are actually quite awful people, who are more concerned with growing their MLM marketing borderline scam thing within this commercial gym setting, which created a lot of problems versus advancing their career. And they're all, I mean, they just didn't want to be personal trainers. And I look at this and go, you're, you're crazy wanting to get away from one of the best careers you can possibly ask for. And I mean, different people have different priorities and maybe it's not even fair to judge other people's motivations based on our value system. Yeah. I try more and more as I get older, like to kind of see it from someone else's point of view, but I just can't get behind quick, quick fix, get rich schemes, which this is this kind of, this is the kind of crap I was dealing with in that environment. Yeah. Absolutely. I just find it as a, an opportunity to build career capital too, right? I mean, people don't really uh, consider that enough and there's so much value and so much benefit, you know, to, to do this. And I guess, yeah, if their uh, value system is a little bit different, but then when they're asking for, I don't know, advances or raises or different opportunities, and it's like, you know, I presented you all these opportunities and you didn't jump on it, but now you want me to provide you with an opportunity that looks a little bit different, but yeah, no, you got to put skin in the game a little bit more. What do you think most coaches would benefit from learning more about what kind of skills are communication. they? Just communication is huge. Like, I mean, we need that in all sorts of relationships. Uh, I've worked really hard in uh, developing my leadership skills and my communication skills, because I think it's incredibly important to be able to talk to people above you, below you, and to the sides of you, right? These lateral communications too. And I think it's such a neglected skill. I mean, I even see it in uh, people above me sending emails out to the team and just how, how they communicate with our coaches. And uh, you know that there's a lot of lacking ability there and it rubs people the wrong way. If you can't communicate effectively, efficiently and well, depending on again, their status, like I really appreciate being able to adapt to people's statuses and be able to communicate. So I try to teach people that listen to their verbiage, listen or watch their body language, mimic them. It's not fake. It's just kind of mimicking them and adapting to them because 
I think that they're going to take you a little bit more serious too, if you do that, you know, so body language and communication, those things significant, in my opinion, I think would be the number one thing that I would tell people to get better at always. Any resources out there, educators that are really great at that stuff that you've enjoyed? Um, well, I mean, I really, what? let's just plug this book in here that I was actually reading right before I jumped on with you. Leading Leaders. It's a communication book on how to uh, talk to people, uh, again, above you. So uh, I like this. This is a Jeswald Solcuse. Right, you okay. can see that. I mean, no one's going to be seeing that, but it's a it's a great oh. book. Um, so I really do like reading a lot of uh, communication books for sure. Uh, resource wise, not to now think about this. Um, okay, I use you as a resource. I mean, I listen to you and the way you communicate. So I read a lot of your stuff in the way that, like, even your post. So social media, like again, valuable in that regard. So like, I follow you and the way that you communicate. Even just the the verbiage, your word order, the choice of words that you use matters, right? It really does. And so like, I actually find that value, very valuable watching and reading your stuff because I think it is actually very incredible, but you've developed that skill by writing and that's how you communicate. So it's it's really fascinating to kind of see that. Um, exactly, all your books in the background there. I think I have a lot of similar ones, um, but any writing and communication books, I mean, are gonna be incredibly valuable. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I can follow people like you who communicate very well. And, you know, that helps me because I learned from you. So this goes, this goes back to the first set of questions, right? How you are with your nature. I was pointing at for everybody listening on the audio. Uh, I may eventually put these on YouTube. I really should. I've been intending to, yeah. I know uh, a stack of books up there, uh, books on writing. Well, I was interested in writing. I wanted to work on that skill and it opened a lot of doors for me. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to get really good at this. And I turned around and applied it to writing shit on Twitter that I would paste to Instagram because there were a handful of people back then. Now everybody does it. But back then there was just a small handful of people doing it. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to like milk this because I know this works. And well, shit, it worked really well. And, and you're right. There's actually a lot to word selection, the way that you write stuff. And you do enough of it, you will learn and go, okay, cool. People didn't respond to that. They didn't like that one. They got offended by that one, which is some people's goal, not mine. I just don't like polarizing crap on social media. I don't have the emotional energy or stamina to be distracted by fighting with people on the internet. I can't stand that crap. Yes. Word choices matter. Speaking of word choices, another book I'm reading, Eloquence. It's uh, the hidden secret of words that change the world. Again, words do matter. The words you choose, depending on what you're trying to get across, you know, make a big difference on pe how people receive it and how they relate to it. So again, if you're, and depending on your audience too, who are you trying to attract? You know, and what, what's your point? What are you trying to get across? And who are you trying to target? You know, so it's people above you, what kind of status do they have? And what is their language like? Well, language really does matter. Yeah. All right. You've mentioned status twice. And I, anybody who listens to this a lot, I'll talk frequently about kind of some of the, the weird things about status. We even earlier, we're talking about, you know, craving status, but Humans are also pattern recognition machines. And one of the most fundamental things that we recognize in our environments is the relative status to other people, right? Ancestrally important survival thing. Uh, now, I think gets a little bit maladaptive with social media. But all right, so what are your thoughts on navigating different people in different status tiers positions? Because when you're talking about status, I know that one of the ways you're talking about it is within an organizational hierarchy. That's a that's a explicit and defined, you know, mm -hmm. type of status. But even within the industry as a whole, there are definitely people that exist within different sort of like levels of status. Mm -hmm. Any, any thoughts on just navigating that? Well, again, I, I think as if you can, 
really kind of search into their language. I think that really helps quite a bit. Um, how are they talking to you? Like, and it doesn't mean that you have to down talk or kind of change things, but I have found that if I talk above people, I'm going to lose them, right? So in terms of like education, I mean, just use that because I am an educator and a mentor. So I have people that I mentor that are brand new, uh, people that have been in it 20 plus years, and I communicate very differently with these people. Um, I have people that are more on the uh, bro side of things, you know, so they, they kind of talk a little bit different and use different language and, oh, getting jacked and this. Or where there's people like, oh, hypertrophy and, you know, use words like that. So it really does like, how do they speak? How, you know, how do they show up in the world, in this industry? So I just mimic kind of what they do. I will talk on their level, whatever that may be. Um, I'm going to stay true to myself, but I will, again, adapt myself to their body language, the verbiage that they use, you know, their kind of energy levels. And it really goes a long ways if you can really be very much aware aware of other people and aware of yourself. So self-awareness is going to be huge, but um, being very observant and being observant means that you have to really shut your mouth and truly listen. And we talk a lot about that. Oh, listen, listen, listen. People will hear and it's really hard. You'll have conversations with people and you can kind of see that their heads just turning because they're trying to think of the next thing to say and they're not actually really listening to what you're saying. So I have found that you really have to sit back, put everything out of your way, no distractions and make eye contact, adapt to their body language and truly listen to them because you need to be able to observe these behaviors, observe the language, observe the tone too. Tonality is going to be huge. So mimic that kind of stuff. And you'll be a lot more successful talking to anyone and everyone. I talk differently to doctors than I do, you know, my staff. I talk differently to my mother than I do my husband, <laughs> right? So, I mean, it's going to be different. I kind of have to adapt to how are they going to receive what I'm saying the best and how, how can I get them to receive it? because they're going to receive it differently depending on how I communicate with them, what words I use, the energy level I have, the tone I use. Dan is so sweet. I mean, like he also understands that as strong as he is, he you could throw him across the room at any given point if he was disrespectful. He likes that sometimes. He, he's a really, really nice human. He I'm really looking is. to see him there too. Yeah. Uh, guys, go follow Dan Stevenson as well. So He's great. <laughs> oh, there was a thought with status. I, I've gone to a lot of events and I've gone to a lot of events in a lot of very different contexts from you know, a, a a total nobody in the industry to you know one of the speakers at a lot of somebody, yeah. And I and I don't like thinking in those terms, but you know, for the context of this, I'll, I'll sort of dance around it carefully. But what I noticed was there's a lot, honestly, an extraordinarily large amount of the people who I'd followed, learned from, would hear on podcasts, read their stuff. When I met them at events, they were polite, pleasant, engaging, friendly. And I was able to actually develop fairly meaningful interactions, get them on social media, and many have become friends early on. Jonathan Goodman, I met him in 2018. And Jonathan has been one of the people, we were texting recently, and just, he was just saying nice things, and I had a lot of nice things to say about him. And he's been, Jonathan caught wind of me long before social media kind of grew. And he's been very invested in, in supporting me, and he's become a very good friend. And I found this is the way most people have been. And there's a lot of other people that fall into this as well. But then there have been exceptions. And there's been a small handful, a comparatively small group of people that I found were aloof, dismissive, um, just 
not engaged. And, and again, we have to be very careful that we don't think we're entitled to everybody's time or a meaningful connection with some of these people. Right? I, I met Alex and Layla Hormozy at an event and I just want to say hi to them. I didn't want to take up any of their time. And Layla was very, very sweet. She was really, really nice. I know Alex was a little bit preoccupied with something else going on with him. So, so you know, I didn't turn around and make any demand of their time or have this grand expectation. I just want to say, listen, I, I like what you guys are doing. I love your books, blah, blah, blah. And they were nice. And I think you also got to be realistic in your expectations. But the people who stood out to me have been the ones who were aloof or dismissive. Now, I think it's also wise to be charitable and understand maybe there's something going on in their world and it maybe has nothing to do with you. Maybe it's not fundamental to their personality. Maybe you caught them on a bad day. I think that's wise. But through multiple encounters, if you're largely getting the same sort of thing, that tells me a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. There's an individual I will not name who I remember the first time I met that person and I followed their content for a while and listened to them on podcasts. And that person was, was a little bit aloof. Okay, fine. No big deal. And so much later on, we spoke at an event, same event, and, and he was pleasant and fine. But when he got up on stage, he was talking over the audience's head. And it very much is like kind of just how this individual is and got frustrated at one point because he realized that he was not landing with the audience. He did not have the audience and he got frustrated and then he switched gears and then he was actually really good. And it's just like, okay. And I'm not interested in criticizing or tearing that individual down. He's doing fine. Right. But it still makes me gravitate to the people who I find have been patient, kind, thoughtful. And those are the people that, A, come on the podcast. Those are the people that I will consider as possible speakers at my future events. Those are the people who I want to show up and see and support and so on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where can people find you to follow more of your media and connect with you? On me. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at ironwolf03. On Facebook at Tashayla Wolf Whalen. Uh, you can go to my website, idealstrength.com. There's a lot of great information on there. Uh, there's a lot of great solid programming app on there too. So shameless plug right there, 20 plus programs on there, 40 bucks a month. And you have access to all sorts of goals and you know, hypertrophy goals, strength goals, competition, fat loss, whatever. We got them all on there. So good deal. And uh, that's uh, Dan and mine, uh, our programming app. So we uh, work very hard on always putting stuff out there, but you can find me there. And uh, yeah, you can always shoot me an email at wolf at idealstrength.com. I'm um, around. I will really encourage coaches to not just go follow you, but actually like shoot you a message and say hi. Yeah, please do. Tasha, I, love, is, I love getting giving, hellos, I highs. I, I absolutely love when people reach out to me. It you brings are, me joy, you so. are supportive, engaged. And I mean, there's probably people listening who've met you at some of these events. If you haven't, you will, because you go to so many of them. Yeah. And yeah. maybe somebody listening has done one of your PPSCs. But either way, go please check out and support Tasha. You're going to you're gonna get connect with someone who's on a very similar journey that as you are maybe a little further along, but close enough that I think there's a lot of potential for mutual support. So please do Absolutely. that. Yes. And, for, and for everybody listening, I've been saying this recently, 2024, I really want to get this podcast in the ears of more people. So do me a kindness. And I mean, it. do something small and free. It takes a moment of your time. Either A, share this with someone in your world who you think would love this podcast or specifically Tasha, or two, Go and give me a review. Give me a great review on the platform that you listen on. 
or you can do both if you're feeling really generous. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for being part of my world. And anyone who listens to the very end, I know are the, like the really engaged people. So thank Truly. you. Absolutely. And for those that are going to raise the bar, please do stop by, say hello to me. Obviously talk to Andrew. He loves to talk shop and so do I. So I hope that uh, many of the people that are listening to this will be there because it is absolutely worth it to be there. So and I know you'll be sitting in the front row. I know I that. will. You and absolutely. will be right in the front row. You guys always do it. A big old smile on my face. So yes. Sasha <laughs> might hug you and pick you up. She's that strong. That's not even a big deal for her. Go watch videos of her lifting. It'll frighten <laughs> All right, guys, thank you again for tuning in, Tasha. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, my friend.